This is the After Party, live with Kim McAllister and John Daly. Afternoon, Kim. Good afternoon. Good. How was your Halloween? Uh, Good. Good. Pretty chill. I think when Halloween is on a weekday, um, not as many people go out. So the city was a little quiet. I was expecting it to be busier, uh, but it was pretty chill. Okay. Well, that's good. The music sounds really loud to me for some reason. Uh, Halloween was good in Petaluma. Very similar to how it is every year. Seemed like there may be fewer people out as well. Uh, but I, you know what I really am excited about when the show starts off with a bang, and here we go with, uh, with two. First, Luis jumping in. Uh, here's a treat for the post Halloween after party live. That's Luis better than a for trick. Five dollars. This is so nice. And then we have Harry for five dollars. Are we celebrating the Day of the Dead or recognizing the deadbeats in Congress? I see what yeah. you did there. Thank you, Harry. Thank you, Luis. You guys are awesome. Hey, party people. Thanks for joining us, Debbie. Yeah, you guys. Oh, and uh, still some fallout from the penguin suit. Sandy, I love the penguin suit and the penguin sounds. I was laughing out loud. John's penguin was straight out of the Netflix series called Bonding. Anyone else see that? (laughs) Pretty good. That's Woody the Uh, Woodpecker. Yeah. So, oh, Square, talking about your two-day growth. You, you'd have a thick beard. Uh, it was the, more than two days. But... The penguin masked day one. That was actually yeah, for my costume were, last night because I was Aladdin. You were adorable. You took the penguin off and went with Aladdin? Yeah. And then my friend pointed out that Aladdin doesn't have a beard. But I'm like, well, if Aladdin was 44 years old, he would have. He, it's, it's <laughs> Aladdin, Aladdin would have a. Up. Yeah. yeah. It's the, uh, you know, the, the hot, sexy but dude. But some people Aladdin were calling me with Abu, a little stubble. Abu. Is it Apu, the, the monkey from Aladdin? Apu? Apu? Is it uh, not to be confused with Apu from uh, from The Simpsons, oh, who runs the Quickie Mart? I don't Mart. know. Abu? But it's Abu, I think, versus okay. Apu. And people are yelling out Abu, and I thought they were yelling out Apu, and I'm like, that's kind of racist. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, we're not all the same. <laughs> oh, happy Halloween Indian. to you too. Um, but well, okay, f- from Halloween to Day of the Dead. Today is officially Dia de los Muertos, I think. Um, Good pronunciation. Thank you. I worked very interesting holiday. It is kind of scared me when I was a kid. All I know about Dia de los Muertos is what I learned from the movie Coco. Have you seen Coco? All you know. Yeah. No. Coco is all about the Day of the Dead. I don't, I don't learn my life lessons via Disney movies. Pixar movies? Yeah. Well, you're <laughs> you're missing out, my friend. You're missing out. Because this movie is Google all it. about <laughs> Google it. Talking about how you make an ofrenda, like an offering, and you put okay. pictures of your um ancestors, people that you've loved and lost that you want to remember. Right. There and and the legend is in Coco, and I'm not sure if this is really the way it is in Day of the Dead, that you must be if you're in the other the land of the dead, right? Your family must remember you in order for you to ascend from heaven or keep living in this afterlife or whatever right. it is. And when you're forgotten and your picture isn't Ooh. put on the ofrenda and your family doesn't remember you anymore, then you disintegrate and disappear. Maybe that's not the way it really works. However, uh, Dia de los Muertos is a time for family and friends to remember their late loved ones uh, and to reunite with them, according to tradition. It's a two-day celebration, November 1st and tomorrow, November 2nd. And the interesting thing is when you think about thinking about people you've lost, there's kind of a melancholy sadness to, to that. But Dia de los Muertos is not about that. It is about celebrating and honoring the life there's no no somber holiday here this is all joyful uh and remembering your loved ones they have festivities there's lots of color there's lots of music there's um lots of flowers the marigold flowers um and it is specifically mexican that's where it started in mexico yeah squares gang saying Catholics call it All Saints Day, but um, Mexicans for the most different. part are Catholic. They are Catholic, so this is yeah. It's the, uh, same the holiday day, right? though has now expanded into Latin America. It's also expanded in into the United States. At the at some cemeteries, including one in Hollywood, they have this huge Dia y Noche de los Muertos event. 
Uh, it's about honoring and keeping alive the memory of your loved ones and believing that one day that you'll be together. Uh, one day that even though you're alive, that realm opens up and you're together on the day of the dead. So this day, even though that person's in one place is what you believe and or they believe and one you're in this place, the realms open up and today you're reunited. So. Looks like the original iteration of Dia de los Muertos was an Aztec festival. So mm -hmm. it looks like they probably just moved it to All Saints Day, I imagine. So I know a lot of people that are not of Latino descent or Hispanic yeah. descent and made their white people or from other places or what have you. And they get into this and they're painting their faces white with the, you know, the skeleton looking. It's beautiful right. the way that it, but I'm wondering, is that, is it okay to do that? Is it okay to enjoy this holiday? Want, love the premise of it? Want to celebrate it? And so you get dressed up for it, even though it's not of your culture. And you you remember your loved ones and you make an ofrenda and you, you have the food and the color and everything else. Or is that cultural appropriation? Yeah, I think that would be cultural appropriation because it's specific to those people. Um, and you're kind of like just taking it and making it yours uh, if you're not in that, that um, in that culture. Um, and it does say here that, um, according to the Google, that when the Spanish came, Christian traditions fused with indigenous traditions. So by the late 20th century, it became as, uh, associated with All Hallowed Tide or the three-day celebration of All Saints Eve, mm -hmm. uh, All Saints Day and All Souls Day. So yeah, that kind of merged, like like many cultures around the world as the as the Christians moved in. Yeah, <laughs> we're they taking made your holiday, we're, uh -huh. we're renaming it. Yeah, I think Something you just need to be saint. sensitive. Yeah, I think you need to be sensitive to that. So I would say, like, if you're if you have uh, friends that celebrate it, I would say you could show up. You could ask them what's appropriate. But right. I think we you need to be careful. Uh, people in general need to be careful about just like taking it and turning it into a costume. It's, it's funny. Like, it, it's true, a costume. Yeah, absolutely. Because I saw people dressed up like that for Halloween. Yeah, I mean that's literally the definition of like cultural appropriation. What's you know? interesting is I was talking to Nikki about this earlier off the air, and she said that. The people that she knows that are Latina or Latino and celebrate Dia de los Muertes, they don't care if white people dress up like that and celebrate it. It's the white people that are like, oh, it's cultural appropriation. Like we're the ones well, that are being Well, that's why I'm saying you should be sensitive to it. You, sure. shouldn't just, yeah. you shouldn't just yeah. presume to be able to just walk in and... and and, and, it, and, and I don't it. know that I don't know that celebration and I'm, that's not my culture, but I'm just saying you should be it's, cautious. It's interesting because what if your intent is not to um, to scoop it up and, and, you know, appropriate it, but to show appreciation for but it intent, and want to participate not always, in it. Intent, intent yeah. is not everything, because if you yeah. dress up like a Native American woman, you know, with braids yeah. and whatnot and go on Halloween... Uh, it, it doesn't matter because it's it's an issue of sensitivity and you're just like taking it as your own. So I think in that realm, you just have to be sensitive and uh, not yeah. be a jerk about it. Um, and since you mentioned that, I know it drives you crazy when I jump ahead. All right. But I do, you did mention it and it's perfect for this. There is this story that I saw and it's about Native Americans and dressing up like Native Americans for Halloween since you just said that. Okay. All right. And there is the Napa Valley. Please tell me there are coming though. Yes, that's true. Now, now, the animal stories are coming. Okay. This is the Napa Valley Horseman's Association costume contest that they have every the year. What? The, the Napa, Napa Valley, Valley Horseman's Association. So people that <laughs> like horses, want to ride horses, they have an association. They get right. together, they do these fun events, whatever. They had a costume contest. And the three top winners of this contest were dressed as Native Americans. Uh, it's being called, and they posted the picture on Facebook. It is being called culturally insensitive, incredibly racist at worst. One of the people, one of the contestants was wearing a feathered war bonnet, which apparently is only for warriors. And it's not, women don't wear this in that culture. And so it was kind of used inappropriately. Uh, the association image has three adult women with face paint riding on painted horses holding sticks features uh with features tied to them while also wearing leather and turquoise jewelry the napa horsemen's association uh which is formed back in 1939 
was trying not to respond to all these complaints on their Facebook page by the with the picture of the three winners dressed as Native mm-hmm. American uh, people. Uh, finally, they ended up they kept trying to delete the comments, I guess. And eventually they just deleted the whole post. So I can't show you the picture of the women. Uh, the were people they, that were, were dressed they white? Up. The people dressed up. I think they were. See, this is what I'm talking about being culturally sensitive. Like, if your people wiped out and killed another people, that's a good uh, case of, uh, okay, you know what? Let's rethink that. Let's be uh, uh, sensitive Um, because you're turning it into a costume. And in this case, the majority oppressed and killed the minority. So that's what I'm talking about. I'm not saying like be crazy PC, but just be sensitive and don't be a jerk about it. That's my inappropriate. I mean, I don't know how you don't know that anymore, right? How you in 2023 would think that's an appropriate co- a costume. Well, a lot it's of people like, think it's uh, thought it was appropriate to dress up in blackface. You know, right? How is that but now we know. But now we know better, right? Well, we I wouldn't think do that. A lot today. of people would have known better at the time too. It depends on, Maybe, on the situation. But yeah, there's no please, excuse blackface. today, and there's no excuse to dress up like a Native American either. And is that some people? The comments were some. You're just all oversensitive. We're just celebrating their culture that's by your, dressing that's up as your them for white Halloween. privilege speaking right there. Mm-hmm. If your people weren't murdered, yeah. my family is murdered in Iran. Like you're not on the receiving end of that. You don't get to make right. that decision. And that's one of the yeah. problems is a lot of white people think they get to make that decision for people. You don't get yeah. to decide what's offensive to minorities. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that's now part the of the Valley problem, actually. That attitude is the problem. With a big you know, old fail. That, and it's interesting that they they're defending themselves by saying it's no big deal by you know instead of taking it's that it's no big deal for you as have a, some as empathy a, put yourself in the shoes of the other people right yeah right? instead of taking it as a learning moment they're yeah. just trying to squish it down yeah. anyway animal but stories that attitude woo-hoo! right there that attitude that yeah. response that attitude is the problem it's thinking yeah. that our perspective is the only perspective Right. And it isn't like but only having white say, people on TV is OK, because you right. know what? That's what makes me comfortable because I'm the majority. Sometimes, though, it's you kind of have to be shocked out of that perspective. Otherwise, I would I think it's hard to to jump out of it on your own and try to look around. Right. When you're in that perspective, it's easier to just kind of keep your head down and do what you've always been doing. I think that's doing. why, you know, as kids are raised, they should be kids should be raised yeah. to be um, self-aware and yeah. respectful and think about these things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's go to animal news. Woohoo! <laughs> Boy, we started the, the after party, party got deep. a little too heavy. That's right. Got a little too heavy. Anyway, happy Dia de los Muertos if you celebrate and uh, if that's your culture. Yes, animals. Very cool. Straight peacocks. Mm-hmm. Oh, peacocks. Uh, peacocks. Not I just a peacock, peacock, a straight peacock. A straight peacock. Uh, it was captured after flying on to rooftops in Colorado. You know, as they do, flitting from house to house, rooftop to rooftop. They're loud peacocks. I mean, really loud. There's some in Petaluma. You can hear them kind of calling from the hills. Now, Kim, why is this picture of a peacock in the middle and cutting you off? Oh, gosh, Mark. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Authorities in Colorado want to now identify the owner of this peacock scene wandering around a neighborhood. What can you tell us about the scene? On rooftops, I can tell you that the bird is beautiful. Look at that. Animal control officers in Lakewood, Colorado, responded to the Copper Oaks neighborhood on reports of a loose peacock that was seen flying around. Can you help us identify this colorful suspect, said the police in a Facebook post. Uh... Peacocks are usually loose, aren't they? You don't see them like on collar with collars and leashes. No, although I think often you'll have them on a farm or a ranch or something like that. Right. They're not necessarily in a but neighborhood. They're free range. Yeah, although I don't think they're they fly far. They kind of stick where you they like, strut. you know. Yeah. Like they're at the San Francisco Zoo, but I don't you don't hear of them flying over the fence and getting out a lot. Right. Anyway, so anyway, the folks in Lakewood, they're looking for whoever owns this peacock. Right now it's at the animal shelter being taken care of. Um, But yeah, what a sight in that neighborhood. And maybe next time we get the photos to be like on the right hand side. Yeah, we'll work on that. Okay. Um, Moving on. Mm -hmm. We love uh, meat. Is it meats or mooses? Mooses. What? We love what? The plural of moose would be... Oh, Meese? Mooses? Mooses. I think it's mooses. <laughs> <laughs> but a moose visits a Massachusetts elementary school during the morning drop-off. Look uh, at that. Maybe, was, maybe uh, she was dropping off her kids. The That's morning exciting. drop-off 
at a Massachusetts elementary school took an unusual turn when a moose showed up and wandered through the line of cars. The Rutland Police Department said the massive moose visited Nakwag Elementary School during the morning drop-off and uh, investigated the line of cars. Principal yeah. uh, said uh, parents should be, uh, parents kept children at a safe distance while the moose wandered through the drop-off area before making its way to the front of the building and crossing the street. Look at this. It's <laughs> <laughs> really Can you funny. Imagine. Uh, principal said uh, the moose was calm and non-aggressive during the visit. Police say they monitored the moose until it left the area. Just checking and, it out. Uh, yeah, and it looks like. Oh, I don't know if that's a related. I think that's an unrelated photo in the no, story. No, that doesn't look good. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I will say, do that. <laughs> one time at drop off, and a lot of times people drop their kids off or a little early, and so the right. kids go into With the. the moose? No, the the kids go into the schoolyard and they play, waiting for the bell to ring. One time uh, at my kid's school, a deer came onto the playground and was jumping all around and kind of being kicky. So they brought all the kids into the classrooms early while the deer yeah. was just out on the playground and it left on its own. But yeah, that's the only similar story I have for that. <laughs> Very funny. Okay, um, there's this story I had to put in here for you uh, about mm -hmm. smelly noodles. Smelly noodles. There's a Chinese company with another world record cooking up the world record serving of smelly noodles. You wonder why? Why? Instant rice noodles. <laughs> Largest cup of instant rice noodles. 112 pounds of luosifen. Luosifen is what it's called. Instant luosifen. That sounds like the a antibiotic. Guangxi Luobuang Food Technology Company used a 4.3 foot tall container to cook up this serving of luosifen, which is composed of boiled rice noodles and soup of stewed river nails and pork bones. I'm going to say it again. Boiled rice noodles in a soup of stewed river nails, snails, and pork bones. How many pounds did you say? I said 112 pounds. That doesn't what it seem like a lot of weight for something that big. Oh, the soup also has vinegar, chili oil, peanuts, dried tofu skin, bean curd sticks. Uh, it gets its famous fecal-like odor from the oh, sour geez. bamboo shoots <clears throat> spread out on the Is top. Is that how they market it? <laughs> Is that what's in the, in the not, Chinese print there? It's not the poop. It's the bamboo. The bamboo <laughs> shoots spread out on the top don't smell really good, apparently. So, but listen, you're, I'm out. Okay, between the snail, the the snail soup, and the the poop smelling bamboo, I'm I I'm over it. Wait, unless this is a really short person, that container seems like it should weigh more than 112 pounds. Well, they are noodles? leaning over, and it could be the way that it's that they're leaning over and situated. The world record serving of luosifen was served to employees in the company's cafeteria. Apparently, they all ate it right up, and it was all good. And so now we have the world record smelly noodles achieved. We need you to to take a dose of luosifen twice a day for 14 no. days. No, we to, do and not. Make sure you finish off the course of luosifen. I'm not eating river snails and poop-smelling bamboo. No. <laughs> oh, that's gross. <laughs> Mo says be kind on no, eating you. lunch. We're sorry. No, thank we you. apologize. That's one thing I'm not going to appropriate. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> Just leave that to the people that want to eat it. Uh, this is a crazy story. A house was reported on fire, uh, it, and it turned out that it was just a Halloween display. So firefighters oh. in New York responded to a report of a house fire and uh, arrived to the purported flames and found that they were actually an amazing Halloween de decoration. And uh, they were looking for a report of a confirmed structure fire. And we have video here uh, quickly <laughs> just to show you what it actually looked like. Take a look. So there's flames both in front of the, the front door, the front room, and that upstairs. That really looks like a house fire. I could see yeah. why someone called 911. Yeah, Your Halloween display is too realistic. Yeah, no. Uh, do they get fined by first responders? Or is it so. all the first responders fun? were kind of like um, joking about it. Couldn't really make okay. out exactly what they were saying, but you could tell that they were uh, riffing about it. Oh, and, man. Uh, I think he said something like, uh, all my training has prepared me for this day. <laughs> As we wrap up the Halloween holiday, one thing that you might have missed unless you were cruising around Livermore is another very uh, intricate, elaborate display, a Barbie house. So there's this one court 
and they go all out for Halloween. Okay. Every Halloween for the last 25 years, it's not a court. Rather, it's Winding Stream Drive in Livermore. And for the last 25 you know years, all the houses there, right near the Whole Foods, reflect mm-hmm. the theme of the holiday. Uh, everybody looks forward to this. There's, They have a lot of people coming by. So this year, one of the men that is kind of the orchestrator of the whole thing decided to build a Barbie house onto the front of his house. He actually constructed a house on the front of his house, and it's painted bright pink. It's a Barbie house. Like a facade? Uh, kind of, but you could go inside of it. Do you have a picture? And it has a second story you could walk inside of it as well. Um, I have a video. I know you hate when I do this. No, let's asked, go for it. It's it's crazy it? November 1st. It's Dia de los Muertos. Let's go for a video. It's Day of the Dead. We're going to try to share this video from the fine people at... Uh, at KTVU, see if I can get it on the screen for you guys. Come on, Here copyright strike. <laughs> Watch, it's going to be a commercial. All right, as sunset approaches, yeah. tens of thousands of trick-or-treaters will take to Bay Area neighborhoods. Many are they already the did. Mm-hmm. And other- yeah, we're going to yeah, move it has on. Every, it has everything for every palette. We are in the 1300 block of Winding Stream Drive, and this is... The home of all things Halloween. A little quiet right now, but around 7, 7.30 tonight, it's really going to liven up. Uh, kids are going to be lining the block, looking for that candy. But right now, adults are out just observing and taking in the sights. I've heard of um, this street in Livermore, and I had to see it for myself. And it's just so fabulous. Wow, she came all the way from Pacifica. And see um, what everybody has created. Joanne Miller made the trek from Pacifica to see the dozen or so homes on Winding Stream Drive. That's that pretty elaborate. Transformed. There's the cat house, the spider house, the house of pumpkins, the butcher house, also called Winding Scream. There you go. And That's the jewel the of the litter, the Barbie right, house Barbie. at the beginning yeah. of the block. Owner John Staden usually makes a splash each year for the past 25 years, and now it's contagious. With That's the a lot of, of pressure. Yeah. He's done pirate ships and haunted houses and spaceships. This year, it's the Barbie house, which took a month. Look, it of even has a like a str- uh, slide to complete. I think what it is is because it's 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 uh, an excuse to just do whatever I want. You know, I it's, I don't have a boss telling me I need this done at this time, and uh, you know you got to be on this schedule. It's like, of course, there's a fixed endpoint, but um, yeah, you, you can just do whatever you want. Stan is a retired mechanical engineer who does consulting for Apple. His creation is likely to be the apple of kids' eyes when they start arriving this evening for the annual procession for candy. Other neighbors say it's not a competition, but more a point of pride to keep the quarter-century tradition alive and well. Guys. Okay, Jesse, I love the Barbie-themed house. Uh, Tell us a little bit more. I knew you would. Anyway, that's uh, that's the Barbie themed house. But you can see he built, and apparently you can go into the first floor. You can stand on the second floor. So it's made to, you know, it's not like just a facade. It's made to to have some weight on it. And hopefully, so, it's built to code. No, I don't think it's you built don't to code. Die in a I think it's. House. I think today he's out there dismantling the Barbie house. You don't house, want it but, actually to catch on fire. Yeah. But I do like it yeah. when you you go rogue and play videos like that, because then people appreciate um, uh, the the preparation of uh, editing video. It's true. It's true. Kim says that's a gotta cost a fortune. I think he said three thousand dollars. He did for Halloween, you know. Yeah. So he's obviously you know pretty well yeah, off they, and they retired and has extra. the time to do that. I, I can barely, you know, uh, this year I forgot to help my mom with the because I I put up the Christmas lights every year, which is more involved because you got to you know get the ladder out. Right. Uh, but at the last minute, as I was leaving her house on Sunday, I realized oh she doesn't have any decorations up for Halloween, and there's yeah. only like one kid that comes by. It's like the next door neighbor, like the the whole. Halloween trick-or-treating industry on the east side of Petaluma has just fallen apart in the last 10 years right. um, or more. And, uh, well, <laughs> I always put up decorations and I put them at, like, at his height so he could see them. And so I just <laughs> slapped up, like, four four or five different, uh, uh, you know, Halloween uh, decorations and then yeah. swapped out her light bulb with, the, like, an orange light bulb. And I'm like, okay, there you sure. go, Halloween. We're good to go. <laughs> it's, like, the opposite of what that guy did. That's pretty funny. Yeah. It took me that's 10 minutes. Very, very elaborate. Um, yeah. So let's move on because we have another ghostly story. Oh, we do. We do have mm-hmm. a ghostly story. Uh, let me check this out. This is uh, a NASA story. Pretty cool. Um, sorry, my computer is lagging right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
<laughs> you know what that's like. NASA's oh, two yeah. advanced X-ray space telescopes are highlighting an astonishing image just in time for Halloween. The bones of a hand-shaped structure reaching out into the vast expanse of space. Are you ready for it? Is it like the claw? Let's take a look. Yeah, these are pretty cool. Check this out. Look at that. Oh, okay. Yeah, the celestial formation originates from the remnants of a collapsed star spewing out plumes of energized matter and antimatter. This sounds very wow. Star Trek. Wow. I can see the hand. You guys see the fingers up on top? Like there's a, the bright light and yeah. then up on top, the five fingers stretching up. It looks like Creepy. a CT scan of uh, Mark's hand. Didn't he just go in yesterday? <laughs> yeah, that's where the surgery will happen. No, he's going to yeah, be Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it does kind of look like a like an x-ray type scan. Mm -hmm. uh, the findings are likened by NASA researchers to the very origins of x-rays. There you go. Which date back to 1895 and German physicist William Röntgen. While experimenting with cathode rays using Crookes tubes, an early experimental electrical, uh, electrical, electrical discharge tube, he noticed a fluorescent glow in nearby chemically coated screens. Uh, the tube was surrounded by black cardboard, which uh, should have prevented any light from escaping, yet the screen still glowed. He soon discovered that this new type of ray could penetrate through most substances, including human tissue, but left bones and metal visible. Recognizing the potential of his discovery, he took an X-ray of his wife's hand, clearly showing his uh, her bones and wedding mm -hmm. ring. Because he didn't know the nature of these rays, he called them X-rays, with X representing the unknown. Which is really mm -hmm. funny. I, I did not read this article ahead of time. But I did think that, uh, like I said at the beginning, it kind of looks like a CT scan or a X-ray. Yeah, it really does. That's a cool picture. Yeah. Pretty um, cool. So, yeah. So mystical. Something not good hap happening at the uh, Rose Bowl football player locker room. Uh -oh. They had locker talk. Uh, lock, locker not room locker talk. room. Not locker room talk. It's Donald locker Trump room showed theft. up. So the Rose Bowl is in Pasadena, and the University of Colorado football team was there, the okay. Buffaloes, and they were playing. And they apparently, you know, they disrobe. They take off all of their fancy Wait, the Rose jewelry. Bowl? Like last year. It wasn't at it wasn't at the Rose Bowl, but it was at the facility at the Rose oh, Bowl. Okay. No, it it actually was at the Rose Bowl. My bad. So it was the University of Colorado and UCLA, and but it was it was at the Rose Bowl, but it wasn't the, the actual Bowl. bowl game. Right. Right. This was on Saturday. I was going to uh, say the report's a little late. Yeah, it was on Saturday, <laughs> uh, October. It was up. The story is from October thirtieth, so it was last it. weekend. Okay. So these players from Colorado go back to the locker room. And they find that all their jewelry had been stolen from the locker rooms in the Rose Bowl. I mean, oh, it's a pretty man. fancy place, right? Look at that. You think you can leave your stuff? You can't. They say you can't go play football and know your S is safe, dog. It's messed up, bruh. Is that a player? Uh, thousands and like the thousands. Thank you. Here, thank you. I really work hard on my pronunciation. You know, I work. Uh, I had to practice that several times. Thousands of dollars, like a lot of money. They had gold chains and diamonds and all kinds of things that were in the locker room, and it was all ripped off. Thousands of dollars worth of jewelry and other valuables stolen right from the locker rooms at the Rose Bowl. Nothing is safe anywhere. Mm. Yeah, that's crazy. It's just from, I mean, you would think that they would have like an attendant or someone, you know, like a security person. Right. At least at the door, right, of that facility. That seems You would think so. Also, yeah. though, why are you wearing all your fancy jewelry to the football game? You know. Well, I mean, they're blinged out sports yeah, stars. They 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 at the they college level. And, yeah, yeah, to and fro. You know, they're bit kind of mm. a big deal. Okay. You know, I don't know if you know this, but they're kind of a big deal. Speaking of big deals, <laughs> how about a big banana? Banana tries to give the police the slip. A man dressed in a banana costume sought to slip out of police custody. After being caught early uh, yesterday, so this is a few days ago, uh, on the 29th, uh, urinating on a Key West sidewalk, according to cops who had to chase the fleeing reveler through Old Town streets. After being flagged down about a white male in a banana costume, relieving himself on the side of a building across from a row of porta bodies. Can you imagine you look over and there's like a banana taking a leak? A Key West, Key West police officer uh, spotted Kyle Mortimer, 20, urinating on the sidewalk. Mortimer, a son, of Ma uh, a son of Massachusetts who attends University of Miami, immediately fled toward Duval Street after this officer identified him. In the heart mm -hmm. of the city's old town, Duval Street features more than 40 bars and likely other banana dev devotees celebrating <laughs> Halloween. 
uh, while Mortimer was zigzagging to prevent capture, a second cop grabbed him by the peel. Mortimer <laughs> then twisted and pulled away before they used a leg sweep to knock him to the ground. Even then, Mortimer interlaced his fingers and held them tightly together in a bid to stymie his handcuffing. After being collared around 1.20 in the morning in front of the Smoking Tuna Saloon, you know where that is, Mortimer was walked by police to nearby Old City Hall where he was charged with disorderly conduct and resisting arrest, both misdemeanors. Free on bond, he's scheduled for arraignment on November 16th. Uh, as seen in the photo, Mortimer <laughs> was still dressed like a banana when he posed for a booking photo. And I had to include that story. You know why. It's, it's uh, the banana's trying to escape. Mo Direct says they call it Mellow Yellow. That's pretty funny. Good job. Oh, Can you imagine having that as your booking photo? Must be so proud. A banana yeah. smirk. Yeah, smirk. that's pretty good. Let's take a little bit of a break. When we come Not back, back break, though. in 30 seconds, no, we'll... Talk about a story that you first alerted me to, which is using planters to keep out the homeless people in San Francisco. It's true. And there's a famous sign for sale, and I kind of want it. We'll talk about that. It's coming up next on The After Party Live. Live. The After Party Live is underwritten by our audience, and without you, this show wouldn't be possible. If you can contribute $10, $15, or $20 a month, it would keep this party a rockin'. The PayPal link can be found in the About section of the YouTube channel or at the bottom of the show description. Any dollar amount is appreciated and it all adds up. On behalf of Kim and myself, thank you for your consideration. Aloha, bitches. It's the After Party Live. <laughs> it never gets old. Thank you. Thank you to the ongoing supporters of the after party live so so grateful to doug k and meredith d jim l jerry s sue ann s deborah c alicia p and linda g you guys so totally rock thank you for helping us out and supporting the show luis with five dollars and also we've got harry with five dollars thank you guys for jumping in and uh and giving us some super stickers as well very very thankful for you on this Dia de los Muertos. Um, let's talk about, thank you. Let's talk about the homeless in San Francisco because you had uh, maybe three months ago taken mm. a picture right outside of a drugstore where maybe a month or, month or two, they put these massive planters in. And I said, I thought it was a bid maybe to keep, like to make the sidewalk smaller so there wouldn't be enough room to have planters and tents right not right. enough room to maneuver but there's all kinds some of them are big troughs big metal bins yeah so stores are and some residents are taking the uh, opportunity to put out these big planters in order to keep homeless people from choosing that stretch of sidewalk to set up their tents on and cafes are doing it uh, there's stores are doing it. CVS is doing it in certain locations. All kinds of places are trying to figure out how can we well, yeah see how big they are. A crazy there, right? I mean, look at all of them. But I guess if you only leave enough space for people to walk, then you take all the tent space up. Right, because so, you, you you can't block the sidewalk like mm -hmm. the trap. You can't block people from walking up and down the sidewalk. So that must be like some kind of technicality because otherwise people could just set up their tent on the other side of the sidewalk, but I think the police can clear you out if you're blocking pedestrians. They can. So the Chronicle did a survey and it showed that while the planters might help keep a particular portion of sidewalk clear, yeah. the tent dwellers may also just head up a block and set up there instead. Right? These kind of look like bathtubs. They do. Those are the, they're pretty nice though. The, the big troughs, you can put yeah. a lot of dirt and get a lot of growth out of those. Uh, advocates to, for homeless people refer to the planters as hostile architecture. Oh, hostile architecture meant to push the homeless population out of sight. Hey, if I'm a business owner, do I want a tent encampment in front of my door? No. You know why? Because people will avoid coming to my business because they yeah. don't want to deal with the tent encampment right and outside. you're paying thousands and thousands of dollars in rent I'm for sorry, people to not come no, to your store. It's just not going to work out. Uh yeah. So you can call it hostile architecture, but maybe it's self-preservation for the business, right? 
yeah. one group of Mission District residents, and we we talked about this, I think, on a different show, raised more than $25,000. People in the neighborhood put money into a pot for the neighborhood so that they could install planters along several blocks of Harrison Street in an attempt to drive away uh, what they called an encampment and an illegal bike chop shop. So it's so, condoned clutter. Just clutter up that sidewalk. It's condoned. Clutter it up with planners or whatever. I don't know. Um, and I don't know if you have to get a permit first from the city in order to put up these planters or if you just go ahead and do it. That's a good question. Right? I, they, they went up really fast, so I don't think they were getting permits. Uh, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I didn't hear a- anything about permits, but they do have to you know, renew the permits on the um, when they have... Yeah. Um, you, what do you call it? The uh, parklets, right? If it's in, if it's in the street, right? In some cases, people put up these giant planters, and if they leave too much space between them, then the homeless pitch their tent right between the planters, which is right. kind of then they gets have a front yard and a backyard. Yeah, I guess so. So that's kind of like living off the grid. Oh. And if you do want to live off the grid, there are best states for off-grid living. Mm. Um, this uh, article talks about the top seven destinations most recommended by experts. Does this appeal to you at all? The appeal of off-grid living? Okay, so off-grid, just let's clarify. That means that I don't have to pay my PG&E anymore because I have solar, right? And or I... you're hooking up at a camp, something. No, because well, that would be, off grid, I would then, be yeah, in the grid. Yeah, you're, yeah that's This grid, is completely so. self-sufficient. Yeah, so, so it's I'm either solar making, or, yeah. So I'm making yeah. all my own energy. I'm probably collecting rainwater and filtering it. I'm growing my own vegetables and food. I'm totally off the grid. Like, I, I'm a very self-sufficient. I, I like the idea of this as long as I'm still living within society. If I have to go far up into the mountains like a hermit and live by myself to do it. Right. No, but if you told me that I could live off grid and it wasn't difficult and I could make it happen where I live now, I'm game. I'll try it. They're saying that not all states are created equal when it comes to off grid living. Some states have more lenient regulations than others. I know a lot of people on Hawaii on the big island live out there uh, mm-hmm. off grid. And some states have made more natural resources um, or I'm sorry, uh, I should say they have more natural resources that can be used to generate energy and grow food. Uh, when choosing the best state to live off-grid, consider the following factors, Kim. Climate, land yeah. availability, regulations, mm-hmm. and natural resources. Uh, some states have a landscape and laws that make off-grid living a bit easier than the, for those who want to. Our sources helped us with indispensable data and information regarding the best states. Um, number one, Alabama. <laughs> Here you go, Kim. Alabama, located in the American South, is home of fertile land and mild temperatures. This combination offers advantages to those seeking self-sufficiency. Let's see. And uh, number two, I have a feeling you're not going to want to go to Alabama. Mm -mm. (laughs) Number two is not going to be any better for you. Texas. The Lone Star State has plenty of (laughs) wide open spaces. Laws there are also permissive for basically anything, right? Um, they say they've been known for affordability and accessibility. Texas makes a compelling location for off-grid living, lower property taxes, cheaper land. Uh, the cost of living is significantly lower than other states. In addition, certain counties in Texas have no building codes. Why does that not surprise me? Hmm. <laughs> Welcome yeah. to Texas. We don't need no building codes. Uh, in addition, certain counties in Texas have, uh, are, are they allow for more freedom, creativity in their design and construction of homes, what they're getting at here. Um, hmm. So, no, 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 no. And you didn't want to go off into the mountains, so Alaska is probably off off no. your grid. Alaska no, is known for its wild and natural biome and offers good living um, for the prepared, prepared homesteader. Um, yeah. A lot of them have uh, achieved financial success uh, streaming on platforms like YouTube, right? People really? go up to Alaska and then they become like one of these survivalists and then have mm. a YouTube channel about it. Uh, so Kim's not doing that. <clears throat> no. No. And then uh, here is Colorado. This is probably the only one you will do. The Centennial State on the mountain offers natural bounty for the dedicated off-grid enthusiasts. Thanks to Mother Nature, Colorado has plenty to offer. Um, They explain Colorado has a variety of homesteading opportunities from small rural plots to larger subdivisions. Moderate temperatures, outside of winter, I would guess, Mm -hmm. (laughs) make it easy to grow a variety of crops as well as keep livestock. So the state is also known for 300 days of sunshine. I didn't know that. Did you know that? Mm, no. Making it ideal for solar energy systems. You mm. learn something every day. 
So, yeah, uh, yeah there you go. Uh, California is actually number five on the list. Um, uh, obviously, we have a lot of uh, challenges, but the northern part yeah. of the state is is where you'd want to focus because of the temperate climate and low low property taxes. I don't know what county they're in. <laughs> Do you know? Well, any? <laughs> Maybe out in, in the the boondocks. In my off the grid living cabin. Maybe I will find room for this sign. It is a sign that is a rare piece of Bay Area history, and it is now for sale on Craigslist. Can you believe that? I mean, that's what you want to see on Craigslist. The Lanai Liquors sign is on Craigslist for $8,500 if you want to buy it. It, of course, is a neon sign from Lanai Liquors, a liquor store that once sat next to Lanai, which was a tiki bar and restaurant in San Mateo. So someone found it in storage. It's 10 feet, 5 inches by 10 feet, 5 inches. Its neon tubes are mostly intact. They, uh, the <laughs> seller mostly says, intact. it's a unique window into Bay Area history. Yeah. They had in the old Lanai... Um, tiki bar they had a luau pit they had a indoor waterfall they had a big mural with fish skins and seashells it was an island fantasy they call it i love a good tiki bar this was the liquor store next door the lanai liquors which got the palm tree if you're listening and you can't see the picture it's like a round sign says lanai liquors in brown although i don't know what color it lights up to be with the uh, then a palm tree with the palm frond sticking up off the top of the sign. It's kind of a cool sign, I'm going to say. The bar closed in 1988, but the liquor store, um, it would the sign was up for another 20 years. And one day, just as the wrecking ball was about to knock it over, somebody struck a deal with the owner. If he could take it down, he could have it. It's been in the owner's possession ever since, and now... He hopes somebody else will enjoy it for $8,500 to help preserve Lanai's lost legacy. So it's a little kitschy, kind of fun. I don't, I don't think anyone's going to give him 8500 bucks for a dilapidated no, sign. I don't know if I have a place for that big sign. It's kind of cool, though. I hope yeah, that it I doesn't mean, get ditched or, you know, junked. Presuming it doesn't work, probably not. Um, they nah, should, no, thank you. They should take it to Kapu in Petaluma at the Tiki Bar. And put find a place for it in there. You're not going to get past the uh, Petaluma Planning Commission, not with that one. No? No. Mm. We have a very strict hometown That's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, let's uh, get some entertainment news in here. Um, we kind of skipped over uh, Matthew Perry yesterday, and I felt guilty. Yeah. So here's a Matthew Perry story. Um, John Stamos. You know John Stamos, right? Yeah. Pretty right. cool guy, right? He, not um, necessarily. He... No. Not a pretty cool guy. Oh, he's not? I don't think so. Did he do something bad? Is my well, his reputation besmirched? It's a whole other story that I was reading about him that he... I he thought was, he was the affable John Stamos. He was on a soap opera and he was having a temper tantrum because he couldn't get it right. And there was a woman in his line of sight and he yelled, get that old lady out of my line of sight. And Whoa. it turned out to be Elizabeth Taylor. Oh, she had been made, doing a guest stint on the soap opera he was on. Oops. He it made the, the story. He's got a new memoir out, and the story made him seem like a full-on prima donna. Just wow. saying. You've just yeah. destroyed my image of Uncle Jesse. Um, yeah, but John well, Stamos said he nearly quit showbiz after an embarrassing friends moment, but Matthew Perry changed his mind. John Stamos oh. is remembering Matthew Perry with a heartwarming warming anecdote. During the ninth season of Friends, the Full House alum guest starred as a prospective sperm donor for Monica, uh, who's played by Courtney Cox, and Chandler, of course, played by Perry, but had an embarrassing experience while taping the show when he yelled at a woman, get out of my line of sight, you old bag. Uh, he, he said, standing backstage, ready to make my entrance, Matt whispers, the audience is going crazy. Um, you know, they'll, they'll go crazy when they see you. Get ready for some loud screams, right? That happens a lot of times when guest stars walk out. Mm -hmm. um, and so he walks through the door and he was met with silence. And he was embarrassed. Because on Friends, whenever you know guest star walked out, they would always like freak out, right? Yeah. He finished the scene and started to slither back to his dressing room and decided to quit show business. What? And Perry walked over to the uh, walked over to him. 
uh, I walked over to the audience rather and said, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for John Stamos. You guys probably didn't recognize him at first because he's so much better looking in person. Uh, and then he said, <laughs> uh, uh, sorry. And, uh, and, uh, anyway, that's basically just of the story. He says, I never, yeah. I never forgot that. And, um, the world will never forget you, uh, Matthew Perry. So, so, nice that, so this is what it tells me that he's doing the job for the applause or are you doing the job because you enjoy acting and you enjoy the camaraderie with your fellow artists and you want to be part of the story? Oh no. It's just that. Do people like me at the end? That's why wow. you're doing it. Kim, who knew Kim, the John Stamos hater. Mm. <laughs> he or, maybe he very just, or maybe Matthew just built him up and said, yeah, don't worry. You're going to, you're going to get all this uh, attention. And then nobody yeah. uh, reacted to him. I, I, I would see how that would you know, especially if you're that that level, you have a certain amount of ego. Can you imagine oh if Mark Thompson God. walked out and no one applauded? Oh, oh man, you don't want to be around that day. No. Uh, you know, you know how it is in well in um, in uh, uh, it just show seems business. like he's got his priorities askew. Yeah, I think I think your view of him is tainted by the Elizabeth mm -hmm. Taylor story. Get out of my light of sight, you old bag old bag. Let's go <laughs> to the uh, the Lamborghini. That you may have seen this Lamborghini on the Wolf of Wall Street, but it's up for sale. It's the one Leonardo DiCaprio drove from the 2013 hit movie, uh, The Wolf of Wall Street. If you have enough money, you too could buy this 1989 Lamborghini Countach 25th anniversary vehicle. It's coming up for uh, for sale on an Abu Dhabi auction next month called On the Grid. I thought you were going to say Craigslist. No, no, not the Lanai liquor sign. This one is being shown for the first time since it was in the movie. It's uh, it's for sale for an estimated one and a half to two million dollars. It's in as filmed condition, which means it's a little beat up. But the wear and tear has apparently been preserved for a decade as a time capsule for the Martin Scorsese film. I'm not even joking. This car is all kinds of jacked up. It looks like it, it was in an accident. It's bumpers falling off. It's scraped paint. I just would not pay. Well, first of all, I don't have a million to two million dollars to pay for anything, let alone a car. Do you have a picture? But, it's just, um, there's a picture of, I've, I've, again, you're not going to like me. I have a video. You're not going to oh, be video, really? joyful. This, this is why we come mm. to class with our photos uh, <laughs> prepared in advance. <laughs> Wait, here, I, got, I have photos. I, I don't want to get us in trouble with too many videos today, but uh, let's see. How about this? This is, see, uh, this is the banged up condition. Yeah, it's a little banged up. A million and a half to two million. They say it has scissor doors and a sleek finish, and it's one of only 658 There's ever made. There's the original condition. Mm-hmm. I guess it was involved in, a, in an accident in the Wolf of Wall Street. Fans, they say, will have a hard time forgetting Leo's ride in the movie. Most notably, it's featured in the scene where the actor's character was a little overboard with quaaludes. Uh the production did rent a second Lamborghini during filming to serve as a backup car. That one was only on screen for a few seconds. So the one up for sale, they say, is the real deal. The lucky buyer also gets one of the four of the film's most iconic costumes featured in the scene where Di DiCaprio's uh, character climbs out of the car. They'll get a director's chair. They'll get a clapboard signed by Scorsese, DiCaprio, and Margot Robbie. A couple of hoodies, DVDs of the movie. So if and a you, banged up car and a banged up old Lamborghini for one and a half to two million dollars. But if you're a, like a mega fan of the Wolf of Wall Street and you had that kind of money, that's great. Go get it. Can you that's take it to an auto body shop? I mean, that's what they're for, right? <laughs> that's not the whole. The whole point is to have the actual showpiece from the movie. It's a yeah, but you could item. have the actual showpiece in its original condition. I think that would be no. cooler. No. Mm -mm. You don't no, want to drive that around. You don't want a, a normal one of the 658 that were made. You want the one from the movie with all the movie damage. So you could just park it somewhere? What are you, Jay Leno? Yes, in your big garage and say, see that right there? That's the condition it was in. Or you take a photo of it in banged up condition and get fixed it up so you can drive it around. 
uh, especially if you're spending that Can much money. Can you imagine driving a two, paying $2 million for a car and actually getting in and driving it? I would be freaked out. That's why you have I'd insurance. I'd be going two miles an hour. That's why you have Little insurance that you can't afford. Mm. Uh, what is um, this? Uh, this next story is about an ancient continent. That sounds intriguing. An ancient continent that we now know a little bit more about because scientists are solving the mystery of this continent that disappeared. It's a long lost continent. It was once attached to Australia when dinosaurs roamed the earth. Uh, this new study from the study people shows the scattered remains of this ancient landmass known as Argo Land. Sounds like a movie, doesn't it? In Argo Land. Well, Argo Ar was a movie, right? Are, yes, a... not the same kind of situation. Uh, the remains of Argoland are buried underneath parts of Southwest Asian nations like Indonesia, Myanmar. Mm -hmm. uh, and the scientists say it opens a window into the past of this region for decades. They've been trying to figure out what happened to this 3,000 mile long last landmass known as Argoland, which was once uh, in between Australia bordered northwestern australia they say about 155 million years ago and they know it existed because it created an immense patch of old seafloor as it moved north they call it the argo abyssal plain and they could see the footsteps of this continent moving and then the trail went cold and there was no sign of it buried underneath the region and they couldn't find it well now they say um they have found it. Yes, they now show how Argoland was an uh, Argopelago, they say, of the microcontinental fragments. Uh, the remains underlie Myanmar and Indonesia. They found it. So it's very exciting. In the continental uh, lost and found? They found did. Yeah, it was in the, in the bin. It was in the, in the big uh, land bin. The big thing is now they could say, we now know the amount of crust that was here. We know that it was highly extended. We can account for it in the geologic record that we find in Southeast Asia. We don't lose continents without a trace. We can still find them. And that means we can still make reasonably reliable reconstructions of what the Earth looked like back in the deep geological past. Pretty cool. Yeah. It is kind Let's of cool. take a look at what uh, Earth looks like right now in New York City. Oh. Huge new red light district has popped up, erupting what? in New York City, <laughs> fueled by the arrival of migrant Venezuelan prostitutes. Do they know that's, that's right. not legal here? You can't do that. Uh, <laughs> right, because there's no prostitution in the United States, oh, in San Francisco specifically, on it. Polk Street. Um, well, there's not a red light district, right? I mean, are well, they hanging out of windows and such? I think that's just a matter of um, mm -hmm. density. Sex okay. worker density. Sex workers are often seen on Roosevelt Avenue. Here you go. In Corona, Queens. Adams, uh, the mayor, says it's one of the most visible signs of the crisis that could destroy the city. Uh-oh. Destroy the city. New York City has a huge red, uh, new red light district thanks to the arrival of these hordes of female Venezuelan migrants who are working as prostitutes. Um, so this uh, neighborhood in Queens is filled with um, them offering sex services in the open air so-called market of sweethearts do it Aww. in the closed air don't do it in the open air the market of sweethearts how sweet is that in recent <laughs> no. weeks sex workers have been seen walking uh, the streets during the day with many aggressively soliciting even as children get out of school or during lunch hours according to pics 11 there in new york previously the bronx was home to the big apple's highest concentration of sex workers for hire mm -hmm. uh, mayor adams said on Tuesday, the situation is just one of many ways in which the migrant crisis is affecting the city, which has received over 120,000 new asylum seekers since last spring. Yeah. Um, when asked by reporters about the open-air sex market, Adam said the situation has been brought to his attention, and he has visited the area himself. Oh, really? Confirming that the illegal activity <laughs> is taking place Man, what publicly are you trying to say? at all hours of the day and night. The Democrat said the city's intel, uh, yeah, it's really tough to gather that intel, right? Hey, I, I need you to go down to the red light district. See what you can find. See what they're many, doing down there. Many of the sex workers are Venezuelan women who uh, obviously have recently arrived in New York. It's unclear if those women were sex workers at home and if they're selling their bodies of their own free will or if they've been trafficked or coerced. Oh, no. Yeah, so I guess there's no real survey of sex workers there. Mm. But anyway, so that's going on in New York City uh, thanks to the migrant crisis and uh, the influx of people there. 
So you know how sometimes at the end of an article you're reading, there'll be a little poll like, did you like the article? What did you think about the article? A, mm -hmm. B, C, D, liked it, hated it, loved it, want to see more of this, whatever. Apparently, a lot of those things are done by AI. Right. And nowadays. This, yeah. Nowadays, yeah, yeah. There's this story about Microsoft now doing this investigation because there was a story about a woman's death. She was found dead at a school in, I think, Australia. Sydney. She was identified as the water polo coach. And so it was a story about how she died, what happened. At the end of the story, AI, of course, not realizing, inappropriate, awkward, they decide to put a poll up. What do you think the reason is behind the woman's death? One, murder. Two, accident. <laughs> Three, suicide. Oh, geez. Um, what? So they've shut off their AI-generated polls for now that come up after news articles. They're investigating after the Guardian Media Group started blasting the tech giant for a poll that ran alongside this story about this woman's death. They say the poll should not have appeared alongside an article of this nature. They're taking steps to help prevent this kind of error from recurring in the future. Microsoft said uh, the tech giant deactivated Microsoft-generated polls for all news articles. They're trying to figure out what happened, but it ran within Microsoft's curated news aggregator platform called Microsoft Start. And yeah, asking the reader what they thought the woman's cause of death was. First of all, how would anyone know what the woman's cause of death was? And what an insensitive question. But this is AI, right? They, did the AI they, hurt your feelings, Kim? The AI did not know what was inappropriate <laughs> and what was appropriate. There might be a value uh, to keeping humans around. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's a wild idea. It's exactly, they say, the sort of instance that we've warned about in relation to news. Uh, that a key reason why we have previously requested Microsoft Teams, uh, we do not want Microsoft's experimental Gen AI technologies applied to journalism licensed from The Guardian. They don't want it. They're asking for assurance from Microsoft that it won't apply experimental technologies on or alongside Guardian licensed journalism without explicit approval. So if the algorithm or AI comes up with it, yeah. Let's have a human look at it first before right. it just goes right out onto like live internet. Kind of like having an editor at a newspaper or a yeah, news director think. at a station. Oh, editors are valuable all of a sudden? Okay. Yeah. Thanks, AI. Mm. This next story I think is pretty amusing. I'm not a huge fan of Ron DeSantis, are you? Mm, I can't say that I am, no. Okay, so I want you to pay attention to a certain part of him. His shoes. Three expert shoemakers are saying that Ron DeSantis is probably wearing height-boosting shoes. Really? Yes. In the last few weeks, posts mocking Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' strangely shaped cowboy boots have racked up millions of views on Twitter and TikTok, with online sleuths trying to determine whether he's wearing height-boosting insoles to pump up him, pump him up against six-foot-three primary frontrunner, and uh, that would be Donald Trump, with a mm -hmm. penchant for nicknames who re reportedly considered calling DeSantis Tiny D. Oh jeez. How how tall is he? Now, if if the 2001 Yale baseball team roster is to believe DeSantis stands at 5 foot 11, but posters mm -hmm. have sketched over photos of the boots showing where they think DeSantis's feet sit inside. So take take a look at this. This is a different image, but you can see here they're focusing on the strange part of like how his how the boot is uh curved and like where the uh, the points, you know, uh, mm. where where they think his foot is under those circles okay. there. Right now, yeah. Um, posters have sketched over the photos showing where they think his feet are, and uh, TikTok users are posting things that say like "Slay Queen," uh, hashtags like <laughs> Paris Fashion Week and Mall Goth Fashion abound. The former president, uh, former President Donald Trump himself, even shared one of the posts on Truth Social. So take a look at like this photo. It's very strange. Like the shoes, the boots are very strange. Yeah, they are. Very strange it's true. shape. Yeah. Uh, it sounds vain to fret over height in a political race, but DeSantis has reason to worry. Over the last century or so, taller candidates have tended to have an yeah. advantage in general elections, with the most notable exceptions um, of former Barack, uh, former President Barack Obama. Hmm. Oh, I didn't think he was short. Oh, he's shorter than Mitt so Romney. Either. Shorter than Mitt Romney. Oh, I didn't realize Mitt Romney's that. pretty tall. Yeah. Oh, okay. And President Joe Biden, who's shorter than Donald Trump. 
Um, Interesting. Three top experts. In, I don't think that's the reason why Donald Trump lost. <laughs> I don't think it was his height. Three top experts in the field say the cowboy. I think maybe it was his mouth. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> three top experts in the field say the cowboy boots uh, boot truthers might be onto something. Uh, this one uh, expert says, I've dealt with these politicians many times. Um, this is a bootmaker behind Houston's popular Parker Boot Company, which he says has made height-increasing cowboy boots for a number of Texas, Texan politicians. Mm -hmm. He won't reveal any names. I've helped them all with their lifts. Um, and he says DeSantis is wearing lifts. There is no doubt. Uh, for Parker, there are two giveaways. At a campaign event in Tampa, a photo was taken of him from the side showing the governor in his black cowboy boots, uh, boots with a navy worsted suit. Traditional Western boots are typically built with an elevated heel, ranging from one and a half inches to one and seven eighths. DeSantis boots have a traditional Western silhouette, but Park, but to Parker, the heels appear shorter. When you stick hmm. inserts into cowboy boots, the combination of the height increasing lifts and the heels turn them into five inch stilettos. And that's too much for the common man. So on a ready-made boot, they'll cut down the heel about half an inch to accommodate the lifts, which looks to be what happened here. So anyway, I thought that was mm. rather So amusing. how tall did you say he is in, in real life? According to the Yale roster, baseball team roster, it was five foot eleven, but it looks like he's oh. probably not not that tall. Huh. Okay. Allegedly. Well that's fine. Whatever. A new controversy. This was a bad situation. When you have to close down a roadway because tourists are complete and total idiots. I mean, really. Oh, okay. Uh, let's is, see here. Yeah. This is a section of uh, a section Ridge of Parkway. Blue Ridge Parkway. It was closed yeah. because visitors were feeding and attempting to hold hold a young bear. Oh, come on. I mean, really. <clears throat> so, multiple documented cases of visitors feeding and attempting to hold a young bear in recent weeks, according to the National Park Service. The closure affects an eight-mile section of Parkway near Asheville, North Carolina. During prime leaf peeping season. I didn't know that's what they called it. Leaf peeping. Leaf pe Sounds peeping creepy. with the pe peeping. We're just peeping <laughs> at the leaves. No worries. Uh, as long as you're not peeing on the leaves like a banana. The section closed on Monday until further notice. When people intentionally attract bears with trash and food, it can be very dangerous. In this instance, we want to give the bear a chance to lose interest in the area before the situation escalates and visitors yeah. or the bear are harmed, according to the superintendent of the park. A motorcyclist uh, stopped last week at the Overlook where he said uh, these interactions were reported and a young bear approached his motorcycle. He gave the bear its space. I kept my distance. I made some noise to spook it away and ended up returning to the motorcycle. It even took a few bites out of my seat. Oh, wow, no. Wow, crazy. Yeah. yeah. People really try to hold the bears on the roadway? Yeah. I guess That's Kim wild. didn't bring any, any pics today. <laughs> I thought we'd have a pick of the bear. There's no pick. Oh, okay. I did, there's one right up there. I put it on. Oh, that, okay. So that's the bear. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's see, we have one, and here's the motorcycle. Oh yeah, he bit the there seat. Look at okay, that. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So that's uh, that's closed. So the, we're talking about cars and Lamborghinis earlier. Apparently, there's this new technology where they have nano pigments that they're putting into paint to make this new color of blue for cars, boosting the intensity of the blue color. I guess that could be good if you want to be seen, right? So then the brighter the car, the probably the better off you are because you'll get noticed in the rain or the darkness. I don't know. Uh, but this is new blue paint. It's very, very blue. The most popular car paint color in America is white, right? This is... Boring. Um, boring yeah this is a this is blue <laughs> the debut names they say for some of the paints snazberry uh they have a, a hella yella a pumpkin uh all different types of automakers are are not even though the most popular colors are white black gray automakers are still gravitating toward color and this story is about using technology to make paint and how car manufacturers and the people that design these paint are inspired by color. Really interesting. This car paint even glows when it's cloudy outside. It was oh, unveiled at the Monterey Car Week last year. Uh, it's called Double Apex Blue. And they think that 
maybe it's because it's glowing through the gloom like fog or cloudy day that mm -hmm. people will be able to see it a little bit better they say there aren't very many colors that can do this so this glow is a physical manifestation of they say what acura's first all-electric vehicle scheduled for delivery next summer is representing is that yeah. a real woman i think it's a mannequin lady Oh, it's a mannequin. Because I, I was going to say, it looked like that 500-year-old 500 re, 500 recreation we had the other day. It does. Well, now you know it's really sexist to have the um, the car models in their bikinis showing off the cars. So they just use a, an old mannequin in a sweater. I'm kidding. I don't know. <laughs> Get that mannequin out of my eye line. Um, and anyway, what is she holding up? Is that, is that like a replica of the entire yeah, body of the a, car? Yeah, it's a replica of the body of the car. Right yeah. next to the actual car. Right. It's kind of a confusing I just, photo. I At just first, I thought it was to, some kind of handle. I wanted to just show you the color blue. I thought it was kind of pretty and cool looking. Yeah. Do you know what color they say um, is the color choice of intelligent people? Mm, charcoal gray. No, it's green. Really? Yeah. Why? I don't know. It's just That's just the reality. If Smart my eyes are green, green does that mean I'm smarter than the average bear? No. <laughs> No, well, I'm not. I'm going with no. You didn't pick mm. it though. Your parents picked it. Now. That's true. This is true. <laughs> I don't want it to be time to end. Is it time oh, to no. end? Yeah, it's time to end. Damn it! Always it happens to me. Well, here we go. I don't know why again. they do it, but they do it. Yeah, they do. We it have to some people to thank, don't we? We do have some people to thank. We have to thank Luis. Yes, Luis with a super sticker today, uh, and also for the five dollars. Yes. And we have to thank Harry as well for the $5. Thank you for your super stickers. Thank you for all the ways that you support the show. We and our really regular contributors, Doug K, mm -hmm. Meredith D, Jim L, Jerry S, Sue Ann S, Knox Swan, Deborah C, Alicia P, and Linda G. If you're out celebrating Dia de los Muertes, have a lovely celebration with your family. We will see you right back here tomorrow on The After Party Live. Adios.